Before this episode begins, we want to give a brief content warning. There's a story told in the episode about sexual harassment. Hi, Evan. Hi, Hannah. So today we're talking about what well, we're we're sort of celebrating today. We reached a milestone that we've been aiming for for a long time. Mm-hmm. Do you want to say what that milestone is? It's releasing Top Tracks, which was a very specific stretch goal for the Damn the Man Save the Music Kickstarter back in 2018. Uh yeah, well, ta- I think the Kickstarter kickstarted in 2017, and the book shipped in 2018 on time. <laughs> and uh, now it's well to give <laughs> to give future context. Now it is 2024. So what's uh, 20, 2018 to 2024? It newly 2024 is that six years later? That's six years later. Six years later. <laughs> Hooray! Hooray! <laughs> So we wanted to do an episode dedicated to this overdue project because on one hand, we're celebrating, but on the other hand, this wasn't a stretch goal that anybody ever asked us about. Like there was not a single right. backer who <laughs> remembered it, at least who told us. There, um, If there were backers who remembered, they were really patient and kind and maybe just accepted that we were never going to do it or that we had abandoned it. And we're like, well, you know, it's, it's not such a big deal. Nobody has asked us about it in all of these six years, but it has weighed on us and it's dipped sort of in and out of our consciousness. I mean, there's there are entire months of a time where it just totally slips out of my mind and I've forgotten about it. Uh, and then we're like, Top tracks, shoot, this is still a part of our lives. And like, we made a promise. It became a, a like two word way to destroy the mood uh, that we could just invoke anytime we were feeling accomplished. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It really did. We would, we would finish a project or finish a design doc and we'd be like, Wow, look at our to-do list. We've we've done really great this week. Like we're really on top of things. And then one of us would like put our hands over our mouths and go, oh, top tracks. <laughs> and then the other would be like, oh no, top tracks, you're right. Our lives are terrible and we're terrible. So let's 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 just describe in detail what this project actually is. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to start? Sure. So Starting with Damn the Man Save the Music, an RPG about saving a record store in the 90s. Uh, one little quirk of designing this game was that we did not want sessions of this game to devolve into actual arguments about 90s music and what belongs in what genre or what was out at the time. Yeah. And I, you know, I'll just say not just arguments, but something that we had found in early playtests was that we would get a mix of people, you know, people who were playing the game for the the 
feelings and the like the setting and the sort of social enthusiasm and then people who were like music people and it wasn't a bad thing that it's not a bad thing that some people are music you're right, people. You're right. It wasn't an argument necessarily. It could just be one or two or everybody at the table all just completely loving. Yeah. Going on and on about the music. Uh, but it could, you know, derail the game a little bit or spoil the mood for the one person that's like, oh, my God, we've been talking about Metallica for five minutes. Like, I don't care about Metallica or have, like, context for this band. So... Uh, so we invented a rule that the music in this game is from a fictional 90s universe and the bands are made up, the music is made up, the celebrities are made up. So everybody's on the same page of familiarity. Yeah. So. And it made it a better game. That's just one thing that I'll add is it, it made it silly. People could like really laugh and be like, oh, yeah, the the flaming hot. Chips. I love that band. Yeah, everybody <laughs> loved it. So that lent itself to a certain stretch goal. And we, uh, I'm curious if you remember differently. My memory is that we did not start this Kickstarter with stretch goals in mind, or at least only very loosely sketched out. I don't think so for this particular stretch goal, because this is one of the only stretch goals we've ever done where we've worked with outside authors. I mean, by outside right. authors, I mean, people who weren't us. And and I do think I'm certain that we had the presence of mind to like, I think we had these, you know, game designers who contributed lined up months and months in advance. You're right. You know, it's, yeah. it's the second stretch goal. Yeah. Other story. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think this was one where, it you know, so 2017, it was at a time, I think stretch goals have changed a little bit since, since this time and Kickstarter has changed. But I feel like we were doing this Kickstarter at peak top, like outside contributor stretch goal era. And so we really wanted a way to bring in other contributors and authors. Is it worth like giving just a quick description of what a stretch goal is for, you know, just in case oh, yeah. there's anybody no, sure. listening? Yeah, we should. We've talked about stretch goals before on the podcast at some point, but basically, if you're not familiar, in Kickstarter, in your crowdfunding campaign, you have a certain goal set from the beginning, and that's when your project is funded and you've agreed to deliver whatever it is you promised. But... There's a certain enthusiasm to achieve that goal. And once you're past it, the idea goes that now that enthusiasm is gone, there's no number to push for. And that's the so that's what a stretch goal. The idea, whether that's true is, you know, can be debated. <laughs> right, right. So the stretch goal comes in as a new big number to achieve. And stretch goals will typically be an improvement to what you're promising. Or an addition to it. Mm -hmm. uh, an improvement like uh, now our cover is going to be foil and shiny. Yeah, now we'll have it. It seems like there's sort of these like three tiers of like, now the cover is going to be foil, which is like this adds money and cost, but no minimal to no extra work. Then there's like this middle right. one of like, we're going to have extra art pieces by an artist who's already making three pieces. Now it's going to be five. It's like, okay, 
sort of already part of the workflow and it adds something like it's a value add, but not a huge content add. And then after that, I mean, the sky is the limit. And this is where uh, many people, including the two of us, have gotten themselves in a lot of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, at that I mean, point, you're just like, well, for sure, let's do a tie-in novel. Why not? <laughs> right. Or a tie-in magazine that takes place in the world of the game's fiction. Or a tie-in magazine done in the style of a 90s music magazine with backer and stretch goal author contributors, glossy, beautifully designed so, you know, the, the like, practical decision-making that went into offering this goal was it was a way to bring in more authors, uh, like, slightly bigger names who could contribute writing and could then be something people who knew those people would be excited to hear about, or they could share it in their circles. And it was also a place that we could put backer submissions for high-level backer supporters, mm -hmm. right? You could spend X amount of dollars and then be included in the magazine because the rule book itself might not have space for those kinds of contributions. Yeah. That was the reasoning. It's not terrible reasoning, necessarily. No, I don't think it's terrible reasoning at all. And I think that it's not, you know, in terms of tie-in pieces... It's kind of cute. Like you get your book and if you've backed at a certain level, you also get this little, this sort of mini magazine that is an addition to the game that you can have at the table and, and flip through to come up with, you know, quick ideas for fictional band names. And uh, and you get the enthusiasm of many different people having contributed to this thing. So that's stretch goals and that's top tracks. And we delivered the rule book on time. And then top tracks, top tracks, not so much. What happened with top tracks? What happened with top tracks? I mean, I think top tracks is a great example of a stretch goal that is just primed to be a challenging disaster because there there were so many elements that are like what that we now recognize as like classic get in trouble elements. Um, I'm going to list some of those. And then Evan, if I missed any, you can, <laughs> you can round out my list. Yeah. Contributions from other people. This is not an inherently bad thing, but like other human beings are real people with real lives. And once you are taking contributions from real people, you have flakiness and whether somebody can commit to the project or has the time and can do it on time, you have editing to make things sound yep. consistent and like they're kind of in a similar voice and people's writing is going to be totally different. I'm trying to think, is there any other thing from, let me just catch my breath. I feel like I got nervous and forgot to you breathe. Have an, you have an uncertain length. You don't know how many contributors there are going to be. Yes. So yeah. Well, for backers. It makes a variable product. Yeah, when you have backer contributions, for sure. I mean, if you are not capping your level at which backers can contribute, yeah, it's like, did you have the budget for a five-page booklet and 
50 backers contributed. I mean, we certainly experienced that issue with uh, Good Dog, Bad Zombie, which we've talked about a right. ton. Uh, so that's, you know, dealing with just real, real people. Oh, and I guess also you have communication is that, you know, every yeah, every right. real person that you add from a stretch goal author to a backer contributor, that's like a personal communication. And I think that we did everything through like a survey, you know, where it was like we tried to make it as clear as possible. Like this is how many lines you have. This is this is the example of like the type of genres. But, you know, there's still things where it's like somebody leaves a field empty or asks us a question in the entry field. And it's a like it's a one on one communication that has to happen that takes back and forth in time. And I might add, like, it's a money relationship. like we're sort of beholden to people who paid to be a contributor and that that colors the conversation like if it's a creative conversation about what we want something to sound like we also want to be very accommodating to this person who spent quite a bit of money to be a part of this yeah yeah i mean for sure another thing that I mean, I think that we'll talk about more, but I'll just sort of give a like a you know, like an overview that was an overpromise in this stretch goal was art. Yep, we promised custom art. Custom art that every backer who contributed and every stretch goal author would get um basically like a unique logo design or sort of album art cover from you and I mean, this was just at a time where I feel so bad, Evan. Like we were just like, like bleeding you dry. <laughs> I don't know why I said that and then laughed. <laughs> bleeding you dry. <laughs> oh gosh, Evan, I feel so bad. I mean, I think there was this time in the past where I was just like, oh, Evan just loves making art. It's just what he does. Like that's your that's your role for. Well, at the time, the the company was Make Big Things. Uh, that's your role for Make Big Things. You're just the art guy. Uh, but, you know, it turns out that we weren't just asking of you extra art. Like we were asking the hardest kind of art, which is like, why don't you make sort of like simple, simplified art, logo style art, all in a consistent style? Um, right. It's one of those things where where the words betray how difficult it is. Yeah. It's like a little simple logo yeah yeah uh, <laughs> yeah that but a logo has to it's, it's just the reality of art is that it's easier to make something complex than simple yeah because with simple that means you are using less to communicate the same thing complicated i can scribble i can do whatever but simple is like not only that with simple you need to have a certain level of polish you know, like a little imperfection in a very complicated image is almost invisible. But when it's very simple, if like a circle doesn't look quite circular, it's visible. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, this is on top of you having done all of the art for the book itself. Like, it's not like you were coming in as a side project and, you know, having not already finished all of the art for a hundred page rule book. And it wasn't completely open-ended. We invited backers to specify what kind of art they would want me to make, which is reasonable. It sounds reasonable, but it naturally pushed me away from the 
material that would come most readily that I'd be most comfortable drawing. Yeah. I feel like we're maybe like in a list within a list, but in the list of reasons that this was primed to be a disaster stretch goal, I think an important one is this is a product completely detached from the primary project. It's not in the book. It's not delivered. It doesn't have to be delivered at the same time. Yeah. It's not a integrated part of the experience. It stands alone. Yeah, I, th I think that's a good point. I mean, had this been promised as a part of the book, making Damn the Man would have been a lot more stressful, but this would not have been six years late. Right. Instead, the way that we worked on it is that we completely finished the core game first, you know, rightfully so. That, that's the core game. That's the main thing. But then after finishing that, we had just finished a massive creative project that was stressful and took months and was exhausting. And we were not in a place to energetically switch to doing this secondary thing. Yeah. And I mean, I'll add this secondary thing that ended up being a massive creative project. And I think that that is, you know, that's one of the things that we discovered really quickly because after the Kickstarter ended and we were sort of like dividing and conquering on some of the work, I have this memory specifically of sitting down my, myself in InDesign while you worked on, you know, maybe you were working on some of the art from the for the core rule book. And I sat down and did a first pass layout on all of Top Tracks. And right. I remember coming to you and being like, I did a first pass layout on all of Top Tracks. And we kind of set it aside. We were like, that's great. Okay, we have to finish the book. We're going to like look back at this in a month or something. And when we looked back on it and looked at that, like when we picked it up again and looked at the work involved in getting it from a first pass to a second pass, you know, I mean, I had... I had started to lay it out the way that you and I would lay out a core rule book, which is kind of coming up with a style guide. And it's like, this is what the headings look like. This is what text text boxes look. I meant I was going to say font boxes and text boxes, and it st started to come out as fuck boxes. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm going to say that again. Um, you come out with the you come up with a style guide, making a book where everything flows and looks consistent. And we hit this thing very quickly with having promised like a 90s music magazine where we were like, oh, we actually need a new style guide for every page. Like there are going to be styles that we use that are never used again in this magazine because we're going for this sort of like, first of all, like 90s graphic design. Like we're trying to do a little bit of a throwback, which Neither of us really had the time or I don't want to say the skills, but like we weren't going to design school to study 90s retro graphic design. Yeah. Um, so we were trying to sort of like do this like homage to a time style while also having every page have a unique layout. And we were like, oh, this is like this is a really big layout project. I mean, it feels foolish to admit it, but like I just. It had not clicked for me that a magazine is about as demanding a layout project as you can possibly have. Yeah, it, it's just hard for me to think about a more challenging layout project. 
because it is. It's page by page, feature by feature, like the way that you introduce a new feature, the title pages, the way that graphics are integrated. It's it's just a new challenge, page by page by page. And this is a brand new magazine that does not have an existing style guide for anything. So we're inventing every part of it. Yeah. And there's really something disappointing about, you know, if you've ever seen like a fake advertisement, the way that fake advertisements, like humorous advertisements, are effective is that they nail the style so completely. And to right. see sort of like a half-assed fake advertisement, it's like it doesn't work. And right. we just it, it messes up the joke. And we just hit that so quickly where we were like, we're we're like, we're just not nailing this this joke. And it's not that the whole thing was supposed to be a joke, but we were just hitting this sort of like like tepid middle ground between something that looked believably 90s and uh, just, uh, I don't know. Um, yeah. I think one more thing that set this up to be a very late uh, problem stretch goal, which we did not know ahead of time, is that it does not seem like it was particularly desired by your average backer. So this helped us in a certain sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it because... certainly helped buy us five years of time. <laughs> right. I mean, so the reality is, in all of those years, we never received a single message saying, hey, where's Top Tracks? Yeah. Uh, and that is such a relief because there is no point in those years where that message would not have hit us like a ton of bricks. But, you know, getting hit by a ton of bricks is motivating in a certain way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like it disappearing and nobody, nobody seeming to notice or care about it did not do wonders for our self-motivation to complete it. Especially as, you know, the to-do list kept on growing, the next projects kept on coming, and like those were wanted and were being asked about and did feel urgent. Yeah. And I mean, the longer that passed, the more that I started to get this like superstition around Top Tracks too, where I started to feel like on some level, like having Top Tracks carried with me into my future was like this, like it was like this string to the past that was just dragging me back. <laughs> like that like somehow I couldn't fully like move on with my life until Top Tracks was done, even if nobody cared about it, coupled with this like second superstition that like the minute we finished it, I was just going to die. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't know. Like it just had this superstition like, oh, like when you and I finished Top Tracks, like what if what if I just die? Uh, <laughs> I had that thought too. Like it was really tied with mortality for me. And I've been thinking about that. And I feel like the reason is we passed our deadline and we did not have another deadline. What do you mean? Oh, so, like we didn't have, like, because nobody was asking about nobody it. Nobody was asking. It was not into our calendar. It was 
It was, it was not part of the plan. God's deadline. And so, right, it defaulted to the only other deadline that's there by default. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> That's actually a great point, because I was wondering why, you know, I don't think of myself as like a particularly superstitious person, but this project did sort of develop this weird sort of curse around it. And yeah, I I think you're right that like, if, if there's no deadline that's imposed by like a boss or backers, and it's not being asked about the deadline is just sort of like the existential deadlines of the passage of time. Can I say another way that I remember Top Tracks impacting you? Uh, yeah. So after Dan the Man Save the Music came out, we pivoted hard into making Good Dog, Bad Zombie, which was a huge project, both before the Kickstarter and then even more so after it. And it came right after Damn the Man Save the Music, which was a very personal game for you. Like, it, you know, you were absolutely the lead and the, like, creative source. And my memory is that you felt like the, the post-release treatment of Damn the Man Save the Music was cut short. And you did not get to run games and talk to people about running games and spread the word and receive feedback and enthusiasm, that instead we were immediately drawn into this huge project. And as that project became all-consuming, Top Tracks became a part of like the, the feeling of good dog, bad zombie is wrecking our lives. <laughs> and Top Tracks is, and damn the man is never going to get the attention it deserves. Yeah. And it's too late. Yeah. Is that ringing true for you? Am I remembering something real? No, you it rang true to me. While you were talking, I like started to cry a little. It um <laughs> had a much more like salient emotional impact on me hearing that than I expected. Um, because you know, I think so much time has passed that it's not it's not something that I like feel about anymore or or have worried about in a long time. Like the feeling of like oh, am I getting recognition or are people playing my games? Does this game have a chance to be like seen and appreciated? But um, yeah, this was one game where we really missed the post, the game being out, like, mar you know, marketing of it, celebrating it, making sure that we sort of brought it around and built hype around it. And uh, I had forgotten how much that affected me. And I remember like, at one point, having a pretty big breakdown around it. <laughs> Maybe breakdown isn't the word, but I remember sending like an email to you and Brian that was just this absolutely unhinged email about how sad and upset I was. Um, whew. Yeah. So this is also... Um... All right, give me a minute. <laughs> yeah. Not sure how much of this I'll like cut out. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. No, no, it's okay. Um, so also at the time, you know, there was there was something else happening at the time, which was that um, at the time I was also the marketing director for John Wick Presents, the company that 
uh, you know, had done the Seven C, the remade Seven C Kickstarter, and yeah. I'm so sorry because I didn't think that this was going to be like a thing. <laughs> Whew. Uh, and around the time that we were working on Top Tracks, maybe this was like 2018, I left John Wick Presents as the marketing director for I quit because of sexual harassment from John Wick. And John Wick was also one of the like high level contributing backers to top tracks. You know, it's not something that I've really felt like I've wanted to talk about publicly. I think that it's, this should come as no surprise. Like he's, <laughs> this, this should come as no surprise to people. You know, this is information that's sort of just generally out there that, you know, John Wick has a, has a history of sexual harassment but it was really hard. You know, I, I, I left my job, which was the last well-paying job that I had in the industry. Um, right. Yeah, it sucked. <laughs> it sucked. And then it sucked to open up this project and be like, do I want to take this piece out? Do we want to just finish this and like send it to him? Man, I'm sorry. I did not expect to like cry. <laughs> I mean, this is like a really, it's like an awful part two to what I said about being beholden to the contributors. Yeah. It was rough. You know, it was, it was really rough. And I think that when I was marketing director for the company, there was this moment where somebody had brought to my attention like some history of some, pretty awful behavior and i i didn't know how to handle it and i was like still young and mm -hmm. somebody had sent an email to the company like like i just want you to know how can you stand behind your boss who does disgusting things and it was so vague and i remember it it scaring me and catching me off guard and also I felt like by that time, like I had already started to sort of get these inklings that like this was this was <laughs> that this was a thing. Uh, God, I'm sorry. I'm so I don't know what I want to say about this. Um, yeah, I guess this was like more of a part of this project that I realized. Yeah, this was a part of what it meant to to return to this project. It's part of why the words top tracks hit as well as they did. <laughs> Yeah, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I don't I don't think I realized that this was something that just still affected me so much. Uh and also I would like to ask, I don't know how much of this I'm going to leave in. I would just really like to ask people's like respect and privacy. Um if if I leave stuff in, this is not something that clearly it's a hard thing and I don't know how much I want to talk about it. But <laughs> Of, you know, even though I just, even though I just got a little, a little weepy, um, I just want to be clear, like, that, that this has not been, this was not the reason that Top Tracks went unfinished. And I also don't want it to um, make anybody feel like, <laughs> make anybody feel bad or even like, like, take away anybody's right to feel annoyed. And maybe this is like a pivot, is that one risk that I felt like we were accepting is 
when people have forgotten that something is late, that we were like taking on a risk of reminding people that like you and I had done a a, a bad thing. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? I I felt like there was this risk in like, is it actually worse to finish top tracks? <laughs> Does that make sense? Is right. that like is that yeah. a thought that you had at all? I just I guess I oh, have yeah. this thought like, oh now that it's out, you know, when we do our next project, is it possible that we've reminded some people that you and I are capable of like pretty significant scheduling fuck ups and and over promising and um you know is this going to make somebody less likely to support a project we've we've returned to top tracks over and over and over over the years we've had these long gaps where it didn't fit in at all and then these rallying moments where we're like Okay, we're just gonna get it done and get it over with, and it's gonna be it's gonna be free and clear. But that aspect of it being a a sort of admission of how late we were, how late this thing is, often turned into those rallying moments being like, okay, well, this has to be good enough to serve as an apology for how late it is. Like to deliver this. X years late. <laughs> yeah. And for it to be crappy and thrown together is such a compounding crime. Yeah. It's rough, you know, because I think that we I don't I don't want to say we intentionally had to make some compromises in the de- design. I mean, some of the compromises are just inherent in that like you and I are not graphic designers in 1994, you know. <laughs> yeah. So there's like some some compromises that we had to make just in to make in terms of just like okay, how much can we actually make this look believable? And honestly, like, you know, as part of the research, I flipped through some of the billboard magazines from the 90s. They kind of looked like ass. You know, like sometimes yeah. sometimes the remembered design is it there's there's like this very like retro sort of 90s like squiggly, squiggly shapes on a teal background where if you look up, you like if you type in like 90s graphic design, like that comes up. But like that honestly, like that was like a very small fraction of like 90s magazine graphic design. Yeah. So we were, you know, we made compromises and yeah, you're right. Like six years later, it's it's hard to say. I can't promise that people are not going to look through, wow, this is a lot of like stuff to double negatives. Like, I don't <laughs> know if people are going to look through and be like, oh, this this took six years. But, you know, it wasn't like the graphic design that took six years. It was the the overpromise and everything that came with it. And the graphic design. And the graphic yeah. design. Because we redid it from scratch. We did. Oh, yeah. Over and over. Over and over. <laughs> One of the other sort of positive things that I'll say about this taking so long is that as we worked on it, we realized over the past few years, like this stretch goal, it's not a it's not a terrible add-on. It's not an awful companion for Dan the Man. But the longer it took, the more we were like, we really want every page to feel like it can be a play aid. And besides right. the fact that we had some like backer and stretch goal author bands, we didn't feel like we felt like we were like stuffing it with some other kind of empty content. And 
everything just got custom written by us as we started to think, like, how could every page of this be actually a useful aid to the game? So we wrote in example store troubles. We wrote in what were some of the other things? Uh, examples of has been celebrities. Yeah, yeah. Has been 90s. big shots. Yep. The write in hopes and dreams of record store employees that could be used as alternatives from the ones that are suggested in the rule book. Yeah. And we wanted those to be useful, but also entertaining and on the edge of believable. And it's a lot of, you know, there's no end to how much care you can put into each element of this project. And at the same time, it all feels like energy that's poured into something that is, no matter how good it is, it's an indictment <laughs> of our uh, scheduling. Yeah. And also, is anybody going to read it at all? Is anybody going to read it at all? I mean, there was a there was this part of me over the past few weeks where I'm like, oh, I hope nobody reads it. Um, and at the same time, I'm I mean, I have that. And yeah. I also have this feeling of like, no, all that art I did. I look back on some of those pictures and I'm like, that one was good. That's, yeah. And that's like a whole style I invented to draw him. And some of that writing. I'm proud of some of that writing. Yeah, you I did. I think it's funny. You did some great writing for Top Tracks. I also, I just want to give you so many props because you really took on a lot of the creative writing and every time it made me laugh. And I um, I went over to my, <laughs> I went over to my parents' house for dinner this week and, you know, they were like, what's going on? What's new? And I was like, oh, Evan and I just finished this really overdue project. And, you know, my mom, who I guess got the email, like the stretch goal or not like got the Kickstarter backer update, was like, yeah, I saw that. I did not understand that at all. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I I totally understand that, that that update had like levels of confusion that would really right. leave my mom behind where she's like, isn't this old? Like, isn't this something from a long time ago that my child did? What's a stretch goal? <laughs> What's a top yeah. dress? <laughs> Um, but I, I sat down, I like opened it up and I showed my parents some of the writing and I had read them, um, the, the big shot pages and they especially, you know, they, they got a good laugh out of it. I mean, maybe they were humoring me. They were like, we have no idea what's going on right now, <laughs> <laughs> but they got a laugh out of the, the, the mood or rock that you had written in. And, uh, Aww, yeah, so I was, I was complimentary nice. of your writing. I didn't know that. Yeah. I was like, this is all Evan, you guys. Anytime it's funny, it's Evan. So <laughs> good job, Evan. You do you do There's the a huge art fake advertisement page. Oh, that was so good. Yeah, yeah. It's like sort of a pure moods and styled. That, that's really beautiful. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even so, know what I'm here for. You you do the art, you do the writing. I guess I just do the crying. <laughs> Not true. <laughs> you, you're a contributor to every single page. I here. contribute moisture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here's your soggy copy of Top Chats. <laughs> uh. I'll say one more thing about the difficulty in completing this. And that's related to the Kickstarter model inherently, which is a pay first, deliver later model. 
You receive the money to make the thing first, and then you deliver it. So it's just, you know, it's just a little inversion of how things normally go, where you do the work and then you get paid. But when you have a project like Top Tracks, presumably, vaguely, in some way, that project was paid for by the Kickstarter. Would we have made less money if we never promised it? Maybe. There's some abstract difference. Yeah. But here in the future, finishing top tracks does not mean receiving any payment. It's like that aspect of this being paid work is so distant that it might as well be invisible. The the emotional moment-to-moment -moment experience was that we weren't being paid for this. Yeah. It just felt like this sort of intrusion of a distant, emotional, laden project in the middle of everything else we're trying to do. And when money is at all a concern, it's really hard to prioritize something where its relationship to money is so distant and vague and finishing it won't won't bring a cent, you know? Yeah. I think that's part of what makes part of what troubles so much fulfillment of Kickstarters and especially secondary promises that are parts of Kickstarter. Well, yeah, so it, this is something we've talked a lot about over the past, I think the past two years where you and I have really started to conceptualize crowdfunding differently as we're like, uh, I, I don't know, you know, you had come up with the phrase like numbers hide everything a while back. And it's like a 25,000, let's say a $25,000 Kickstarter it just means nothing because it's like, is that a $25,000 book that cost $4,000 to produce and it was done when like it was the, the creator was done with it before the Kickstarter even launched and it shipped a month later? Well, that's that's great. That's hugely successful. Right. Or is it a $25,000 Kickstarter that took six years to complete. <laughs> well, like that $25,000 starts to look really different, stretched out over that. It gets just smaller and smaller over time. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, when you're kickstarting something that isn't complete, the amount you're paid per hour, it becomes a race. Mm. Like the longer it takes you to complete the thing, the worse and worse that flat amount of money. Uh, I phrase this sentence in a way that I don't know how to complete it. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> know, it's bad. It gets worse and worse. Yeah, it's, it's awful. Not, it's not good. It's not great. <laughs> uh, and then when you're like six years out, it's like the whole question of money is just like some, it's like a story your grandfather told you about money once changing hands <laughs> in the yeah. like 1890s. <laughs> yeah, all of the backers who are now our grandfathers. <laughs> <laughs> So I want to say something that I think is positive. I, I hope it's positive, which is, you know, we, we finished Top Tracks this week, this six-year overdue stretch goal that everybody forgot about or people were just being really, really nice about. And you and I, the past year, 
more than little more than a year now had made this promise where we were like we are we've been bad historically at kind of estimating how done we are with a project before kickstarting it and we kickstart games and then use the feeling of maybe stress or obligation or you know pressure to now deliver this thing that we've been paid for to start to like press that timer to like start right. it going and then we're like and the the race is on uh where we are deadline motivated people although i guess that's not a debt the deadline being well, well anyway. kickstarter comes with a deadline kickstarter does come with a deadline we write one in we'd made this promise over this past year of like we're not we're not going to make any new games right now and <laughs> we are not going to make any new kickstarters until we feel like the game that we're working on is is really close to done because we've just learned that we're bad at estimating. And then we finished Top Tracks. And yesterday we went we went to the gym where we do some of our best work. <laughs> we were on rowing machines. <laughs> um, and you and I started to talk about our next Kickstarter. And that's a conversation we've been having this past week. Like we've been starting to talk about the next thing we're going to make and get excited for it. I feel like it's not an accident that our conversations about making something new are now coming after seeing that we finished this thing that was six years overdue. Like, I feel like it's not like, it's not like permission to make something new, Hannah and Evan. But um, I don't know, like, in, in some ways, I feel like maybe the past year has been an overcorrection or like a little bit of a punishment yeah. on ourselves. Like we are not allowed, like we're bad. We are, we are naughty and <laughs> we are not allowed <laughs> to make something new because we do a bad job. Uh, but I don't think we do a bad job. And I think it's cool that we immediately finished this project and then started to talk for the first time in a year, like excitedly about the next thing that we're going to make and kickstart. That's so true. Like, I feel, I feel like I'm still discovering the ways that I have been unburdened by finishing top tracks. Yeah, apparently because I discovered some in this episode. Yeah, yeah, right. Which reminds me, I want to just circle back. I don't want to make you cry. No, no, that's but, okay, sir. I think I'm good. But, and also, it's fine. Like, it's like once it's happened, it's like if it happens again, it's like now people have heard me cry, so it's fi it's fine. Right. Like uh, <laughs> they're. They they understand it. Yeah, they're like, hardened to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, we talked about damn the man not getting the time it deserved to be seen and appreciated and pushed out into the world, and I think that's true. I think it deserved more than it got. But this many years later, after going to conventions, we've just gotten more and more chance to hear from people who have played and absolutely adored that game. Uh, for some people, it's just one of their all-time favorite games, and it's just like a quick, funny, light, dramatic, meaningful game. And I just feel like now, more than, than back in that hard period, we it it's gotten some of the recognition it deserves. Yeah. 
That's really nice. And I think it's true. I mean, the other day we were looking at the uh, reviews on Itch.io, which reviews aren't, um, you can see like the star reviews on Itch.io. I I think only the creators of a project can see the written reviews, which is too bad because I think also a lot of people don't realize that when they leave a really nice review that like, weirdly, we're the only people who can see it. But um, some of the Itch.io reviews were so kind. I mean, it was like person after person that was like, this is the game I bring to the table the most often, or this is my favorite game, or this game is so easy to pick up for beginners. And it's heartwarming and validating. And yeah, I, that's great. <laughs> I feel good about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's like, it's really easy for me to think about. It's just like this thing from the past and like any game from the past to also you just you see its flaws or the things you'd want to change in the design, but I I do think that it it found an audience maybe even sort of despite our lack of in spite of in spite of yeah, us not really of. having the time to give it uh, the reception it deserved. So good job, Hannah. Oh, you had a real good game. hey, I mean, good job you. You are such a good graphic designer and a good artist in that game it has amazing art i flipped through the layout i'm still really proud of it yeah and we finished top we tracks. finished top tracks now it's over now when we say the word top tracks it can take on this sort of like mystical meaning you know we can be like top tracks, top tracks. <laughs> <laughs> wink The Design Doc intro and outro theme was written by our friend, musician Pat King. Thanks, Pat. Design Doc is hosted on the One Shot Network, a network of great little podcasts and big ones. I need to not say that. You're doing great. <laughs> doing great. <laughs> Keep it going. <laughs> Maybe some medium, uh, too. Uh, uh, <laughs> Small, medium, and large podcasts, like including the likes of campaign, campaign, campaign skyjacks takes place in an original setting inspired by folk tales and classic adventure fiction. James Diamato leads Liz Anderson, John Patrick Cohn, Tyler Davis, Johnny O'Mara, and in recent episodes. Nathan Blades, as they tell a tale of daring sky pirates, giant birds, and the terror of a cursed sea. It's funny, dramatic, and at times emotionally devastating. Just like Top Tracks. <laughs> Top Tracks. <laughs> Just search for Campaign Skyjacks or James Diamato on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. If you want to see Top Tracks, and this is not a request. Oh, yeah, it's just, yeah, It's just of if you're curious, you can go to turtlebun.itch.io, and in the Damn the Man section, you'll find it listed under the downloadable demos. It's free for everyone to download. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back soon.